Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today is part two of Bang Head Here. We are back with Holly and Josh, the authors of Bang Head Here. And today we are talking shop. In part one, we got their stories of Holly's troubled youth and how it put her on this incredible path of helping others because of that deep understanding. So go back and listen to part one to get her full story. My parents, I remember them saying, you know, you should really watch what you eat, watch what you do, you know, and I became really self-conscious. Then one day I decided I was going to put myself on a diet. I started to lose weight, I started to look good, and I started to get attention. And what I didn't realize was that I was slipping into an eating disorder. And we get Josh's story of being a young man in Morocco and working with refugees from West Africa, watching their abuse and deportment and his connection with them that became so formative for him as he built a life of humanitarian work. It was it was a pretty formative time in my life. I mean, I was on my LDS mission. I was 19. It, it, it became like this moment in time where connection and connecting through deep personal traumas and deep personal stories became something that I was first introduced to and then became the norm for us. Today, we want to move on with our conversation with them because it was so good. They're so rich. There's so much that we can glean from them. So stay tuned. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Holly and Josh, welcome back to the show. Yay, we're so yeah. glad to be back with you again. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Let's dive right back into our conversation and pick up where we left off. The last episode, we finished up with the challenges that teens are having with connection and, and parents, how the teens and parents both have to work together to, to do this. And this episode Let's go into the next obvious question, which is what keeps parents from connecting with their teens and their young adult children? There's some good evidence out there that we talked about early in the previous episode, just around technology and social media platforms. There is an interesting trend that has also taken place that I feel, and, and Holly will jump into here as well, is that there's two things going on in our relationships, our direct relationships with our young people, where the role of like being a parent as coach or parent as mentor has really changed to being a parent who wants to be a friend. And by being a friend makes excuses for their kids. Mm. And what I mean by that is so often when Holly and I are working with parents, is that there has been a trend that, I, that we're seeing of making excuses for behaviors, emotions, and it sounds a funny way of putting it, but just letting things grow in such a way that we are so afraid of how it will affect our relationship with them if we step in, that we just don't step in. So you see that a lot? A lot. Being afraid to hold accountable or to hold a boundary or to push or to coach or to mentor 
because they're so worried about how they look in their kids' eyes. I can absolutely see that because, and especially with the divorce rate going higher, um, parents don't want, it's very important to them not to alienate their child because that's what they have left. And the child now can go to a different household if, you know, if they're Mm -hmm. not getting along with one parent. So it becomes sort of, you know, emotionally saving yourself and your connection, which is really cripples the kids. So there's a lot of things that we're working against. Holly, why are you guys able to connect with teens when the parents can't? I think it's the language that we've developed over the years uh, through our own story, developing the empathy, being able to understand what it feels like to not be heard. So when we are working with these teens, we're going with that curiosity. We're going with the intention of you tell me where you want to go, not I'm going to tell you where you need to go Mm. kind of thing. And then that allows us to build trust very quickly. Sure. And they, you haven't been the, the genesis of their, the expectations that they feel from home. So they can also talk more openly without that history, I suppose. Yeah. But even if they haven't been talking at home, it still takes a little bit of time for us to open them up, you know, because that trust is not there. Sure. So we're at, we're, what we're asking parents to do is exactly what we're doing. We're saying, you know, we get into a conversation with them and we say, hey, how was your day? Or tell me about that. And we're curious, like, and we're genuinely curious, like, tell me who your best friend is. Why? Why is that your best friend? Oh, that's cool. You know, what do you guys talk about? That's fun. And, and, our, and our intention in this is not like, I got to get to this location today. It is our intention is eventually it would be cool to talk about these things. I know we'll, we'll get there some point, but when are you ready for it? Right. And sometimes they will take you right there. And sometimes they will drag you through the mud for 40 minutes until you can start to open up that door a little bit. So that's what makes us successful is we've learned those techniques through working with all the teens over the years. We've learned to watch the way that the eyes are moving, the voice is changing and go, oh, the wall's going up. Okay, we're going to stop. We're going to go around. We're going to create another plan, you know. And, and, and then not push that agenda, but we also don't have the fear that we're driving. Let's talk a little bit about developing resilience. So in your book, you talk about the need of accepting the pain that is part of life. Like that's huge. What I was reading that part of your book when I was with my dad and he's going through the last parts of his life where there's a lot of pain. He was like, oh, it's so true. Life is just pain. (laughs) And Different perspective, different timing, right? But you say, quote, we realized that we didn't really know what it meant to look at pain without trying to avoid it. In essence, we didn't know how to be okay with not feeling okay. Both of those things were brilliant to me because absolutely we are we are programmed to avoid pain. It's why we remember what we remember. It's why we do what we do. And I think that it is huge to realize how much of life. I, I think a lot of the problem with social media and all of us is that you look at other people having what appears to be a really great time. And then you feel like my life's not always on that level of joy and pain uh, of happiness. There's, there's pain involved and that's not a good life. So why am I here? I'm living in misery. So let's talk about this idea of an acceptance of all the emotions of living, including that pain is a part of that. And then let's talk about how this is a part of becoming more resilient. uh, So I agree. We're socialized that if we don't hit certain markers, that we are a failure, 
that there's something wrong with our lives and that makes us feel even more depressed <laughs> any down spiral right instead of being told the truth the truth is is that if you want to have joy you have to create a space for pain because joy only exists through pain right and so when we work with young children saying let me be real about life you're going to have some good moments you're going to have some really crappy in the toilet moments guess what you're not a bad person for that. And guess what? That's normal. And now let's talk about how to deal with that. Then, and then give them techniques like this is healthy. Okay, guys, maybe journal about it or go for a walk or, you know, see something productive, talk to somebody, a friend. That's, that's good. What's not good is drinking and getting into drugs and, you know, all of these other things that we're doing to numb ourselves out because we think we shouldn't feel pain. When we start to teach children that, and then we don't steal their lessons from them so that when they experience pain, the parent oftentimes is feeling the worst pain watching them because they love them so much, ripping their heart out. They go, oh, let, let me take care of it for you. It's okay. Well, we will we'll patch this up. We're going to move on. Life's happy. Well, we just robbed them of that small opportunity that they, they got to feel the pain and then practice the healing, the resiliency, and then come back to the joy, right? We robbed them. So parents are doing this so that now when they've got children that are in their adult years, they, they can't manage their life. So much depression, so much anxiety, and they don't have anybody to fall back on, right? There's a lot of codependency that's happening. So I think we start building resiliency by talking about what's real, and making it okay. In I really like that. I, you know, there was a parenting technique called love and learning. I, I think that's what it was called. <laughs> I'm having just a, a forgetful moment right now, but I used it with my kids growing up and it was a way that you would give them choices and they get to choose. You give them choices that you can live with as a parent. Love and, and logic. The, love and logic. Yeah, love and logic. Yep. And then you let them feel the consequences of whatever that is. And I think that, well, I know for certain that letting them feel the consequences of things helps them to build a resiliency for sure, because they, if you take away those consequences and like Josh was saying earlier, the parents that don't want them to feel pain or that don't, don't want to challenge them on anything because they, they don't want there to be any negativity there it cripples the kids. I mean, it, it really does. It cripples them because they don't know how to deal in any kind of a situation where they have to bounce back or they have to find a solution around whatever roadblock there is. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of ways. I, I think that's probably one of the most important parenting techniques out there. So how do you feel resiliency tanks? How do you, how do, how do we all feel our resiliency tank? I think one of the, the things that I appreciated most about the process that Holly and I went through was understanding how we avoid pain as a way to understand ourselves in such a, such a way to catch ourselves quicker and quicker when we are going to some of these default settings and patterns that we have that keep us in the pain cycle. I mean, in my family recently, we've had some pretty traumatic things happen where my son, who I was adopting, uh, the adoption was stopped because his girlfriend got pet pregnant. And uh, after two and a half years of raising this kid, we found out that it wasn't his kid. And now that kid that we've raised as our grandson and his son for the last two and a half years. Oh, wow. Uh, is no longer in the picture, right? 
it's, it's been traumatic for us. And, and so for my own son who grew up in an orphanage and who doesn't have a resiliency tank, you know, he, he goes from crying in my arms and wondering why he's gone through this to learning little by little that he has to show up in life in ways that make him feel like there is meaning. Resiliency is easier through, through meaning and through purpose. And that happens a lot through relationship and connection. And so when we're talking with kids who need to become more resilient, we give them things to practice and we give them things to hone and skills to work on. And that could be something outside the house, like a, a sport or, or something in that they really, really love because they learn by showing up consistently in one thing that things are going to be, uh, you know, they're problem solving. Things are going to be okay when there's something that goes wrong. Like there's, there's good stuff on the other end of things. And that's how we feel our resiliency tanks is by, and that's what I've done with my son. It's just like, Hey, like, what are we going to sit down? And it's not been easy and I'm still in it in the thick of it. And it's not been perfect, but like, Hey, how are we going to give your life enough meaning so that you can bounce back and you can build that up as a muscle that says, I can be resilient. I can take this trauma that was huge for you and send you to a place where like, okay, like I know that that's there and I'm feeling that pain, but I can invest in this and create some meaning to help me deal with this pain. So this is a process also then building resiliency where you're going to have to accept it as a process, just as building trust, as we talked about in part one is a process. Exactly. And that's when like just alluding to like, we couldn't really write that chapter until we process how we avoid our pain and how we dealt with our pain and the painful things that were going on in Holly's life and in my life and all the kind of really deep and hurtful ways. And sometimes the really silly ways that we avoided pain, we couldn't become resilient or even step on the resilience path until that understanding happened. And as we took a good look at that, and as we kind of understood what our, our, you know, how we avoided our pain, and that's what I'm trying to teach with my son, like huge traumatic thing happened. Well, Hey, like, let's put ourselves on the bat, on the path of, of healing and resist resilience. Sorry. And, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to just bite off small chunks and then see how that works. None of this is instantaneous. And that as parents and, and as a society and as a culture, we have to detach ourselves from instant gratification and from hyper novelty because of the fact that these rebuilds and this path to resilience is a lifelong path. And you'll learn stuff through every experience you have. What are some ways that we as adults, as we are doing some of that self-analysis, avoid pain? Ooh, how do we avoid pain? <laughs> <laughs> you want to see what I start off there, Holly? And we can, yeah. Eating, <laughs> sex, shopping. How many people have like Amazon boxes? <laughs> You know, so I, I I didn't hear the first two. Well, at least I don't know if it was very loud. So she said eating, sex eating, and sex, shopping so far. Shopping, right. Over exercising, like okay. anything that you're doing, drugs, alcohol, cutting for some people, eating disorders, right. They'll, anything to numb out. Everybody knows what they do to numb out, right. Some of it is just complete avoidance. It could be TV too, huh? Yep. Yep. TV. Like, yep. Josh likes to, uh, one of his numbing oh. out agents, like, or, or looking at 
uh, cars, always buying a car. You know? Well, I was going to say like, I had, I didn't realize that that's how I dealt with a lot of my pain, but like I'm 42 and I've owned way too many cars and I just will be up late on eBay and I'll find some car that I think is going to be so cool and I'll buy it. And then the next morning, I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? Like I, I now have to deal with mechanics and all this stuff. And I do find enjoyment in it. And I've turned it into that where I took my last, my last time that I did that, which was like in 2015, I bought this old Ford truck that I thought was going to solve all these problems, but I was in some serious, you know, I was dealing with some stuff and I turned into a really big exercise of restoring it, not avoiding it, not just dumping it off at a loss. And I, and I made money off of the last truck that I sold, which is, you know, which, which, which happens for me most of the time, but like, it's just one of those things where you just have to look at it. We all do it in really small ways. Okay. And once we recognize what our way is, then what do we do? I mean, that's beautiful self-awareness and what we teach a lot and most in our clients is how to be self-aware of what we're doing. And if it's there, then we catch it quicker. Well, so I have to say what we do Mm -hmm. is we sit with it, Lori. When we catch ourselves in pain, we have to train our minds to not now go and try and self-soothe. We, in, in a way that's unhealthy, we, we recognize like, whoa, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of pain right now. And I need to, I'm going to just create a space for that. That means I might cry about it today. And then I'm going to call somebody for some, for some support or do something that's healthier in that moment. I'm not going to try and push this pain away because it's going to teach me something right? Mm. And it's going to create then a space for joy to come back in that I'm going to really be excited about when it does come. So what are healthy ways? What are healthy ways of dealing with pain? Yeah. I mean, I, I I think that uh, healthy ways of dealing with pain are, are always going to be around self-development connection and connecting with those parts of ourselves. So if you think about pain and joy, the things that give us the most joy are our connections, are our dreams, are the things like you say, like our story, right? So like when I'm in India and I, well, we, we created the same similar thing. We had talked about this on our, on our pre-call, Laurie, that's just like, Hey, like we teach a live your best story kind of, um, you know, workshop to a lot of kids at these orphanages that we work at. And a lot of what we teach them is like, you're not in that situation that we, the, inevitably the hand will go up. I live in an orphanage. I'm never going to have the same opportunities that you're going to have. Like you are, you live in America you're upper middle class, you're doing whatever, like you're going to have this, like, how do, how do they deal with that pain? And I always just kind of say, like, the best thing that I can say is that you start small and you just start building momentum for yourself and momentum builds opportunities and opportunities just create more on, in and on, you know, just goes on in that cycle. Right. And so a joy that I feel that I teach a lot of my kids that I work with is like, let's just start with one project starts and finishes. Hey, I'm going to start this journal entry, I'm going to finish this journal entry. I'm going to build this coffee table. I'm going to start it and I'm going to finish it. And that start and finish builds a muscle of resiliency and of joy of that I finished something. That sense of accomplishment comes rushing in because you're deliberately practicing something that opposes your pain in a way. Mm. It brings some type of meaning and joy into your life to say, okay, like Holly was saying, I have to sit with this really tough thing that's going on with my grandson but in the same time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of invest in this in a consistent enough way that at the end of the day, I'm going to feel that really melancholy or kind of weird confluence of, I still have this pain that I'm feeling, but I also just accomplished something that I really loved doing and invested in. And so I'm, I'm living with that. 
Yeah. And I'm allowing for a space. I'm allowing for a space of learning. Yeah. I don't think we could ever say, sorry, Holly, just that I don't think we could ever say you're going to be pain free your whole life. So yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Holly. Yeah. Um, So to add on to that, we, we want to teach people to balance the scales. What can we do that's healthy when we're dealing with pain, journaling, calling somebody, having a good conversation, like you said, with connection, giving somebody a hug, going for a walk, maybe getting some exercise. These are all a little bit more productive than some of the other ways, but we also need to teach the mind to accentuate the small things and make them great. So for example, I'm at the grocery store. I've had a crappy day. (laughs) Nothing's going to change it, but chicken is on sale. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's organic. (laughs) So then I say to my mind, I have been given the greatest gift ever today. (laughs) Life is good. Even though my mind knows I'm grappling with this incredible pain, Mm -hmm. it also doesn't know how big this, how small this is in in reality, because I'm telling it it's huge, right? So the subconscious goes like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. And, And then the energy shifts within our soul. So if somebody calls us up on the up on the phone that we didn't expect, oh, freaking awesome, man. I am loved today. And we talk to ourselves that way, right? And and that creates more energy of joy while you're dealing with the pain. So you, you have to be careful about that balance because if you fall too much into pain and too much into loss, then it becomes depressive and it's hard to to get out of that, right? No, I call it, I'm called looking for the magic every day. Look for the magic. Yep, exactly. One of the things that I think is really hard for um, young people, especially when they're dealing with anxiety and depression, is for them to engage with life, either because they're anxious about it or unmotivated or whatever, what do you do to get people to engage with life? I try and simplify things to the, to what is uh, they're capable of. So if, if depression is leading them to not be able to accomplish anything, you know, and they've got, let's say a pile of laundry, I'll say, well, when you go into that room, what can you do? And if they're like, well, I can put one thing away. I'm like, preach and celebrate. <laughs> with the one thing and let's say hey every time you go in that room just do one thing because you're going to realize that your energy is going to shift and you'll end up doing more mm-hmm. right so yeah, that, that's great that's one technique what about you josh uh, there's and these might be bigger kind of solutions but there's two things that i like to do especially like when i get the call at two or three in the morning we're having a panic attack or when they're really depressive state whatever we can do to get our young people into their bodies Meaning like sometimes I'll just be on the phone with somebody and say, I need you to do 10 jumping jacks for me right now because you're having a panic attack and I need you to connect with your body somehow. So that's where like the breathing exercises and and breathing alone and just going out and putting your feet in the grass. These little things like Holly are saying will provide some momentum and some opportunity for some for some people. I, I think that's that's kind of a really, really important thing. And then service is huge. And I know mm-hmm. that kind of comes later. But a lot of times I will push people that I'm working with to just find something, some need in the world that they can fill some guys, reason. Yes, yeah. this is such good stuff and so timely with what people are going through. Can you guys tell us a little bit about Bang Head here? This is your first book out of three, but tell us what you want the listeners to know about it and where they can find it. Holly, you do this best. I, 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 might, I might let Holly go, Holly go first. <laughs> I, I, I just get too wordy. 
care <laughs> part one, you and the equation, it focuses on you as the care, the caretaker and the parent in evaluating your relationship with your loved one, right? Um, it's available on all streaming platforms um, as far as uh, like Amazon, you can get it, but you can also get it in audiobook is what I mean for people that don't like to read and they just want to listen to it on a, on a walk. So it's available on iTunes as well. I have to tell you, it, it was a good, easy read. I was able to make it through it in in about a week. I mean, such good stuff, but I also have like all kinds of highlights and underlines and all kinds of things. So, you know, depending on what kind of reader you are, it's fine to listen to it, but it's also great to take notes and underline and to go back and and be able to reread what was important and to remember things that maybe you want to use with your kids. I thought the book was amazingly, like I'm flipping through now and there's highlights on every page, just really, really well done, well-written. Um, easy to understand. You use stories and things that are nice and it's, you know, it's not super thick. What have we got? We've got like 127 pages. So with that book, there's also, I want to more clearly understand what you guys do. There's this great book that people can buy, but you also, is what you do considered therapy or is it considered coaching? We do coaching. We also work with psychologists in uh, in tr- their treatment programs to help anybody that's going and seeing a psychologist that needs some help applying some of the principles in their everyday life. So okay. we, coach, we coach teens, we, we coach young adults, and we also coach parents. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, they can just go to your website and there's a way to connect with you and you just will set that up, right? Yeah, they can and go we- to our website. They can also go to Instagram um, and they can message us there or they can send us an email. But please get on our email list, which you can do on our website, because we do have some pretty exciting things. We're going to be providing some family humanitarian trips with some therapeutic, you know, goals and aims in there to kind of bring and reconnect families together. Holly and I have some really great things that we're going to try to do that will be, we believe, interventions that will be super helpful for families that are struggling and for parents that are struggling as well. Oh my gosh, this sounds wonderful. Thank you guys for all that you do. I... I'm so happy to have had you on the show. So happy to hear and to share these great insights. You're the best. Yeah, thank you. This was great. I've spent a lot of time lately thinking about how hard communication is for everyone. I mean, when you think about it, we all have different experiences and different triggers and different insecurities and different personalities, different nature and different nurture. We have different stories that we tell about everything. And with those stories that we're telling ourselves in our own heads, we are actually creating completely different realities from each other. In Bang Head here, Josh and Holly say, quote, we know very little about what is going on to really know what is going on. It's a reminder that we need to keep our initial opinions and perceptions out of the equation until we have had enough time to be curious, ask questions and create different perspectives and possibilities and to give the benefit of the doubt, unquote. I think that sums up so much about good communication. Get curious, wait, don't react, act rather than react, right? Um, And that curiosity is so key. When we talked about that, asking questions of yourself, why am I reacting this way? Is this coming from fear 
or love? What is going to be the best way to respond to my loved one or the person that I'm speaking with that's going to be able to um, solve this problem and not exacerbate it? What perspective am, am I coming from and what perspective might they be coming from? And when we look at that with curiosity, then it becomes, you know, something to kind of unravel and think about and, and figure out. Understanding that we all are creating different stories because we all have such different perceptions of things. And that's okay. It is what it is. Your challenge this week is to give someone the benefit of the doubt. When you are hit with frustration or fear in one of your relationships, give that other person the benefit of the doubt and approach them with that in mind. The benefit of the doubt may just be, I know that you are doing the best that you can do with what you have to work with. That benefit of the doubt can be so powerful in saving relationships. So many teens right now and young adults and adults seem to struggle so deeply. The suicide rates are incredibly high. We know even the the teens will admit that the social media does not help. It may be a main source for self-loathing, for a lack of self-esteem. I mean, we're dealing with the first generation that's being raised on the internet and we're hitting our heads against that proverbial wall and having to learn how to find our way around outcomes that we haven't had to deal with before. The book Banghead Here may be a great resource for you. So look that up, use it. And Josh and Holly's contact information will be in the show notes on loveyourstorypodcast.com underneath this episode. Share this with anyone and everyone that could use it because this is a fantastic resource and you're only putting good into the world when you help people find these resources. So have a great couple of weeks. We will see you back here in two weeks for the next excellent episode of the love your story podcast